This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. I just drink wine. Well, hello there and welcome to the wine situation. Going sultry with it again, guys. Maybe it's just because I'm recording this at like... 10.30 at night. Uh, hi, <laughs> this is the wine situation. The situation is that we're all uh, at home drinking alone or at least alone-ish, or hopefully we are, because those of you having parties, stop. Um, we're all social distancing and drinking alone, and I, Ellen Clifford, the palate, am here to be your drinking buddy, uh, as well as maybe educate you about wine a little bit. So before I say anything else, Unless you're like taking a jog, in which case don't. But you know, if you're taking a hike, you could take a bottle with you to a view. Just don't drink too much and don't slip on the way down. Oh wait, the trails aren't even open, but you can sort of like quote unquote uh, hike in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, at least that's where I went last week and where I'm probably going again tomorrow because it was nice and fresh air is good. Uh, guys, as I've always said, this podcast where I'm here to be your drinking buddy is all about segments and tangents. I got segments for you, and I got tangents. Either which way, I would love it if this were something that you were listening to to keep you company while having a glass of wine, because, I don't know, I like to imagine (laughs) that I'm drinking with you right now. My friend, my dear friend who is listening to this. And I do appreciate all you guys that listen, because, yeah, if I had no listeners, I... I mean, I've always been someone who needs to make things, but I'd maybe find something different to make. Uh, who I am is Ellen Clifford, as I said, the palette. I was Mademoiselle La Palette, according to my former co-host Sean, but I prefer the more fluid title of the palette, like someone who can knock you out with their palette or a bottle of wine. Uh, sorry, guys, I'm not normally that violent. Uh, my credits, so in case you're like, who is this nincompoop? <laughs> I just thought of that word. Who is this person who thinks they can tell me about wine? I am a certified sommelier, and I am one freaking test away from getting my Wine and Spirit Educational Trust Diploma, at which point I will probably probably end up deciding to apply for the Master of Wine program, although I need to start saving money now, so maybe I really should start a uh, Patreon for this so that I can not spend my money on wine and editing for it and... Uh, save it to become a master of wine so I can tell you even more masterful things like I'm going to do on today's show. I guess uh, this is the point where I usually sort of tell you the agenda for the day. I'm probably going to wax poetic about life for a minute because, you know what, I feel like it's okay to have layers. And uh, I don't know, I like being vulnerable with you. And yeah, I don't know, it's weird. Every listener I have I always wish I could get to know. Like every guest I've had, by the end of the episode, I am so like madly in love with them. Not like in love with them, but just like I've met so many phenomenal people as being guests on the show and I would love to, it would be so much fun to meet the people listening to this. I mean, there's probably a lot of you listening who I have met, so hi, I know who you are. Thank you for continuing to listen to my bullshit. Um, Yeah, so... I probably, agenda for today. Tangents and segments, guys. Segments and tangents. 
we're going to have a little bit of life theory because like I said, I want to be vulnerable. We're going to have another fun, fun game that actually is shockingly kind of a game of who, what, when, where, why, wine. So I'm going to be dropping clues like they're hot. And guys, I got all the hot wine info and I'm going to drop it throughout this episode. Uh, and at the end, I'll reveal what the thing is I was talking about. I will introduce you to a winery and be tasting this wine made by a woman winemaker because that's what I'm trying to, to do this season. So far, I've succeeded. This is my eighth episode and I'm, I've got at least the next several. I've got women winemakers lined up. I can do this. And you guys can too. Keep drinking those women-made wines. So we'll have that. We're going to have a brief on the food side. Like on the flip side, get it? But I, I'm just going to have a little, a little food chat with you. Uh, and then we will have the drunk dial that is mostly drunk on nerves because it's going to take place tomorrow afternoon with Lachey Delaney, who is someone I met at a raw, uh, raw wine after party and was like, this is someone who works in wine and also is in the theater stuff. And she seems like good people. And we've been trying like d desperately to get her on the show. And now, now that we can arrange phone calls anytime and don't, have to have three people in the same place at the same time. We're finally making it happen. So that's going to be exciting. Shall we kick off with, uh, kick it off with our first segment before I go on another tangent? Probably. So the life theory that I've been pondering of late is, can you only have so many good things in your life at the same time? Because the thing is, I've always felt extra extra lucky in the family department like I have the most supportive and lovely family and I've always felt like I have the most extraordinary friends and I meet the most extraordinary people who I want to be friends and who seem to want to be my friend and I feel overly abundant in that way uh, granted but then I'm like oh I rarely seem I've I've had some good relationships and I've had some bad relationships but I've never been a person who's had one more than like a few years at a time and uh, I don't know I think maybe I'm someone who would like to have the person I find who like we're gonna like spend our lives together that would be cool but I'm starting to like think maybe I have enough good things in my life that like the universe can only let me have so much do I have to let go of something else I, I don't know because I have had like some pretty bad things in my life too like bad things that don't happen to anybody else, like head injury bad things. So I don't know, I was just pondering that. I'd be curious what other people think. I would like to think that if you're a good person, you, well, life will always have waves, but I would like to think that you can have a little bit of goodness in all departments. I just, I wish I had had the relationship goodness in my life more than I have because it hasn't been like the most abounding, uh, abundant thing. But I try and be appreciative of what I have because I feel like some people don't have families that they feel like they can really look to and depend on and love. So I don't know, I don't know. Hope that wasn't too deep. And I haven't even had a glass of wine yet. I hope you, although I'm officially gonna cheers you before I start drinking, like I hope you've started drinking <laughs> before I laid all this on you. Shall we have our first clue for who, what, when, where, why? Wine. Your who is actually a body of who's. Um, it is the Consejo Regulador. The Consejo 
Regaludor, which is a, a body of people that will get you at least in the right country. The Consejo Regulador as a thing at all was started in 1933, by the way. Uh, facts you might want to know for, you know, if you're getting taste, uh, tested on it. But uh, let's get to this wine. I'm going to tell you the tech info on this wine, and then I'll do a quick taste. We'll have another clue, and then we'll do tasting notes, and I'll compare mine with other people's. This week, we have the 2018 Honig Napa Valley Rutherford Sauvignon Blanc Reserve. So Rutherford is a subregion of Napa Valley. Honig is the family that owns this. And while their president, current president, Michael Honig, took the reins at age of 22, and apparently it wasn't like a particularly successful winery before then, and he single-handedly, or probably not single-handedly, but he was pretty devoted, like would deliver his wine in person. Um, anyway, uh, it's, it's family owned by, by that family, but their winemaker... Kristen Belair, and their associate winemaker, Ashley Eaglehoff, are, as you might have guessed from their names, uh, women, which is super cool. Other things I like about this winery include that they're so into sustainability. They have a Napa Green and a California Sustainable Wine Growing Associates uh, certifications. If you go on their website, you can find out all the different ways they try and be sustainable. They have tabs for solar energy, um, sniffer dogs, they, they use dogs to detect for mealybugs, apparently. Um, I guess there's probably more chemical ways you could deal with that, but no, they take the dogs in the yard. Uh, birds and bees, so you can read about how they try and work with all these elements of nature that are not always perhaps uh, conducive to wine growing. So that's super cool. Uh, this winemaker, uh, Kristen Belair, she got her enology degree from UC Davis. Uh, it says after that, uh, one of her first uh, two California uh, harvests was at Trefethen. I might be saying that wrong, but I had some of their like aged Chardonnay at the um, Wine Writers Symposium, and it was amazing. Anyway, I like that they say there she perfected forklift driving, cleaning tanks, and topping barrels. Man. I feel like these are skills that I would probably never excel at, particularly anything that involves driving. I'd, I'd probably be okay at the cleaning and, and topping, but I just feel like I really love that it's like, yes, perfect the forklift, do it. And uh, eventually she joined the Honig family to be their winemaker. Says when she's not feeding her passion for winemaking and growing grapes, Kristen can generally be found engaging in some kind of outdoor activity. Her current favorites are skiing, running, mountain biking, and climbing. Yeah, I knew she was a badass. Also, for some reason, she's in like a striped costume with kitty cat ears and what looks like Chewbacca shoes, which I'm not sure about, but I like that she has... Oh, and she's in a pink wig, but I, I like her sense of humor, or at least her playful nature. We'll see if it comes out in the wine. Their associate winemaker, Ashley Eaglehoff, also got her degree in viticulture and enology from UC Davis, and you can read more about her history. She, she went and worked with a few different people before Honig. Um, says, also says she lives with her family in Napa. In her free time, she enjoys cooking, hiking, camping, and watching football. So also, like, I don't know, I, I like these things. I like picturing these women living their lives in between winemaking. They sound well-rounded and, uh, in general, outdoorsy. So, 
what of this wine we are about to taste, the 2018 Reserve Sauvignon Blanc from Rutherford. Uh, says fruit, 100% Honig Estate fruit, 89% Sauvignon Blanc, 9% Simeon, how Bordeaux of them, and 2% Musket. How uh, interesting. The fruit is from select blocks of our sustainably farmed vineyard in Rutherford, Napa Valley. Harvested between September 3rd and September 19th, 2018. Average bricks. That's like the level of sugar in the grape. At harvest, 23.4 degrees. As for the winemaking, it says, A portion of the blend was selected from lots that were fermented in stainless steel tanks and subsequently aged on the lees, ooh, baby dead yeast cells, in Puncheon for eight months. The remainder of the juice was fermented in new, specially selected French oak barrels and punchion. The barrel fermented portion of the blend underwent malolactic fermentation, which, guys, I, I prefer to say malolactic conversion because it's not actually a fermentation. It's when the lactic acid, um, or when the malic acid turns into lactic acid, softening the wine. Anyway, bit of wine nerdery for you. Uh, so anyway, uh, a portion of it underwent malolactic fermentation and was aged on lees for eight months. Individual lots were selected for the blend in November 18, 2018, and the final blend was assembled just prior to bottling in July of 2019. So this is this wine has been in the bottle almost a year. It was uh, 60% was aged for eight months in oak punchion, 40% aged in eight months in new French oak barrels and punchions. So now I'm going to cheers the glass, taste it, not say too much about it. Uh, we'll have another clue. I'll give you my tasting notes and then I'll see how my tasting notes uh, stack up to theirs. Cheers, guys. Ooh. Oh, that's, that's fun wine. Okay, I'm going to have fun talking about that. Uh, but first, let's have another quick clue. Your who was a bunch of who's, the Consejo Regulador. Your what is 212 grams per liter of residual sugar. But in reality, most of these wines have like 400 to 500 and something. Uh, they're much sweeter. So if you know like a lot of those like dorky wine number facts, like... I had this memorized when I was getting ready for my test on this wine. I, right now, probably would be like, oh, I don't quite remember. But it's sweet. So that's your what. As for tasting, let's play what's in a glass, the game that's not a game, which kind of is the game by now. Uh, pale lemon yellow with hints, hints of both green and gold. How, like, wiggly-niggly of me is that? I can't settle on it. I think it's a little more green than gold, but it's got some elegance to that. It's not just plain up, uh, plain old lemon yellow. Going into a watery rim with, um, oh, thick, slow tears, particularly for a white, yes, on the nose. My lord, it's medium plus. You get a lot of, like, struck match on this, like, Possibly some, like, a bit of reduction, which is, I don't know, it has been in the bottle a while. Uh, lemon pith, grapefruit pith, lime pith, like, pretty much all the citrus, maybe even kumquit pith. 
but definitely like there's almost a bitterness to it that makes you think of like the peel and the pith as well as the juice. Mm. I feel like I get a hint at like buttery notes, uh, which maybe that's from the lees and the malolactic. I don't, uh, like I picture nettles. A lot of Sauvignon Blancs, I'm like, I get a lawn on the nose anyway. I get nettles, like stinging nettles, things that you encounter while hiking kind of greenery, but definitely a, a smidge of that. Let's go ahead and taste it. Ooh, that is so much fun. Um, medium plus acid, medium plus alcohol. I think I already saw the level uh, accidentally and it was like 14.1, which is high actually. Let's see what they say uh, on the bottle. Cause sometimes that's different than the text sheet you find online. 14.1 alcohol by volume. Goodness. That is a high alcohol white wine, but it is being grown in Rutherford where things can get rather warm. Um, so there's that. <laughs> no tannins, because this did not spend time on its skins, which is where the tannins generally come from, unless they're stem inclusion. But sh do you guys like these science lessons? I don't know. Uh, body is medium plus. It's got quite a bit of... This is where I'm starting to feel... Oh, if I get any tannins, it's oak tannins. I On the nose, I didn't smell the new French oak, but on the mouth, you get like a generous dose of vanilla, but not obnoxious. Like it's very, like the, this wine is very, this wine's a smooth talker is what this wine is. I'm kind of picturing like, because there are, is that little bit of creaminess and that butteriness, this wine is like, not quite a key lime, but it's some sort of citrus uh, pie made with condensed milk and uh, it's in a buttercrust. And there's some vanilla scented whipped cream on top, but none of this is sweet. What a twist! What fun! If you love the taste of sweets but don't love the sweet, this wine would be for you. It's utterly dry. And it is utterly rich, but it is not cloying. A lot of like, I don't know, I get very leery of overly oaked white wines. This is definitely not overly oaked. It's perfectly oaked. Mm, there's, yeah, there's a lot going on in the palate. Pretty much everything I tasted. Uh, the oak probably is a little like sort of a big marker. I feel like if I tasted it, I would be torn to possibly call it some sort of Chardonnay just because coming from California, like... Well, I guess Fumé Blanc is a, a sort of a marker for, um, or Fumé Blanc is what they, uh, one winemaker started calling Sauvignon Blanc that they aged in uh, oak in California. So I guess that is not an atypical way to make it. And the nature of the fruit is definitely more like citrus and stuff than I think uh, apples I would get more, or <laughs> Chardonnay I would get maybe a little more apple thing going on. Uh, all I know is that this is delicious, and yes, it makes me think of a not-sweet citrus key lime, but not a uh, pie with vanilla whipped cream in a butter crust. Because uh, it's got, yeah, it sort of bites with that citric acid, but then it's got uh, the creaminess going on. What a 
fun wine and one that you could I think it would pair handsomely with a lot of foods but also is kind of rich enough that you can well I always don't mind drinking wine on its own I know a lot of people are like only want it with food and I'm like come on I feel like that's just like use your imagination dude um, great. Granted, it's great when you have a pairing and it's fabulous, but I think wine it can be equally enjoyable. Okay, there's some wines, like really tannic wines, that you're like, no, 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 this needs food. But I think a lot of wines still can be enjoyed by themselves, as long as you're not by yourself, which, <laughs> if you're hosting a podcast and everyone's listening to you, then you're not drinking alone. You're drinking with friends. Ah, well, let's look at the tasting notes that Honig supplied. They say, jasmine, peach, and white nectarine. Okay, so nothing I said so far. Are complemented by notes of key lime. Yes! Ruby grapefruit and Meyer lemon. Yeah, Meyer lemon's always had that vanilla thing. A remarkable equilibrium between oak and fruit. Yes! Lends itself to creamy, rich mid-palate that finishes with the essence of lemon curd and a hint of toasted marshmallow. Ooh, marshmallow, good thought. Yes, they're right. Uh, this this lovely <laughs> example of an ageable Sauvignon Blanc can be enjoyed now through 2023 and beyond. Well, I'm glad it at least got a couple years in the bottle. I feel I feel okay about my tasting notes. I aside from like the jasmine and stone fruit, I feel like they said about the same things as me. But guys, I do not smell jasmine on this. Maybe they smelled it in youth. Maybe, but yeah, no, I'm not getting it now. On the nose, I still get like this very like reduced uh, thing, which as the as the show goes on, maybe I'll revisit and tell you if that changes. But what a fun wine. I got to find new things to say. I've probably said that five times now. I'm sorry if I'm repetitive, guys, but at least you know I'm not a waffler. Shall we get back to our who, what, when, where, why game? To refresh your memory, the who is the Consejo Regulador, the what is 212 grams per liter minimum of residual sugar, the when is 1935 when the, and granted a lot of people are like, I know exactly now, but I'm looking for a very specific wine out of this appellation, but, but the Consejo Regulador body, because in, okay, in Spain, Every appellation has like their own Consejo Regulador making up the rules and like overseeing things. The one for this was established in 1935. So there you go. <clears throat> I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about food. A, because on the first episode when I was telling you all the segments I had planned, I have not done a on the food side yet. So let's do one. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, eating habits in quarantine. So I know like half the people out there are, everyone's like getting really excited for like their CSA delivery uh, produce boxes and so many people are making their own sourdough and baking up a storm and people are taking the time to, to make all these things they never would have before. And the problem with me is like I don't have more spare time right now. Like I still have all the jobs I have before, if not now that I'm doing this podcast once a week. More. All the same, when quarantine began, I was uh, using it as an excuse to bake every other night, and I went through a phase where I, I experimented with soft pretzel recipes. I still think the one from Baking Illustrated is the best, although 
I mean, I have a couple more I want to try, but like still that stands up is the best. What makes it different? It includes honey and you have to use bread flour. Uh, so I made that. I experimented with those Lofthouse cookie recipes. Um, those are the sort of really thick sugar cookie with thick frosting on them. You see in the clamshell things at the checkout near the checkout at the grocery store. I made a batch or so of crumpets. I made muffins. Uh, and then little by little, I went the opposite of everybody else. Everyone else got more and more elaborate with their baking adventures. And I, it started with, okay, it's all about Amy's guys. Amy's, the, the brand. I have always had a sweet spot for their soups. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. Something about like being in quarantine and wanting to like treat myself treating myself to those like particularly the like really rich high calorie soups that I would normally be like wow that feels like a special occasion soup because I'm such a food weirdo dork that like soups that don't have anything but just vegetables and have a slightly higher calories to me are things I like don't let myself have regularly so it started with having more Amy's soups and then for some reason one day Guys, I don't even particularly like butternut squash or quinoa and never in my life, literally never in my life have I been a person who uses frozen meals. And granted, like the ones I've ordered from, from Amy's so far are like so low calorie, they don't qualify as an entire meal, but like a dish more, more like. I've never been a person who eats sub-microwave dinners. And it, for some reason it started with, I just ordered this like quinoa, black bean and butternut squash thing. And for some reason, I found it really delicious, even though I black beans are like the only... Historically, black beans are the only things out of that I've liked. So then I, I'm also not a big pasta person. Like, I tend to get kind of bored with it. And maybe the thing is that, that if you order the Amy's Light and Lean, there's such a small amount of pasta in it, actually, that you don't get bored with it. But, like, then I was like... And I'm not a big fake meat person either. But then I was like, oh, I'm going to order the Amy's, uh, like, Italian vegetarian sausage and, and pasta dish I don't understand and then I ordered like their frozen risotto which was okay although like that's something I'm like oh if I ever have risotto again it's either gonna be in a restaurant or I'm making it myself but yeah everybody else has sort of gotten a major cooking like improvement in their lives and is getting good at all these things and making all these fun things and I have gone in the complete opposite direction, not even making my own bread. I am eating fucking frozen meals and cans of soup. I don't quite understand why this is happening because I ought to be, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not a joiner, guys. Maybe I'm just not a joiner. Hmm. I'm trying to think of other things that have been like unlike me that I've done. And I had a friend point out, she's like, well, everybody's kind of doing things different than they normally did. So everybody baking and making things, they're people who didn't do that before. And when every day starts to feel the same, you just like look to switch it up. So I realized my excitement was going, oh, what new Amy's frozen thing could I, that I don't have to make myself, could I heat up and try? And for me, that's novel and different. Uh, shockingly, I haven't ordered many french fries in lockdown. I frequently, before I would order McDonald's fries uh, via like Uber Eats or something, or I just love french fries, guys. I have not had many fries since lockdown. 
And right now, I think I'm holding them in my mind as something that I'm just really going to look forward to. I think it'll be, it's probably, it's probably going to be a couple months from now before I can have them in person. So I'll probably order some from fast food or like uh, from Uber Eats before then. But I've not eaten fries possibly since lockdown began, which is bizarre because in my regular life, I would get out with friends at least once a week and usually if we ended up with somewhere and there was some sort of fried potato option, I was like, okay, yes, dial me in, get it for me. I've had some pizza. I did just write an article on uh, pizza and wine pairing for Delectable, which was super fun and it gave me an ex excuse to like open up bottles of Italian wine that I don't, I just don't think to open all that much. Uh, maybe go to the uh, Delectable, check that out if you want my recommendations. I don't know why I go into Cajun Man so often on this show. It's just, I, I don't know, guys. I don't know a lot of things. I do know facts about wine, which is why I should probably end this segment on food. I just wanted to let you know where I am with food because <laughs> I'm like still eating a lot of the stuff the same, but I just, it's been very weird to me to be the person who gets excited suddenly by heating up frozen meals. But there you go. Lockdown is weird. Let's get on with like the things I do know, which are uh, memorizable facts that you can be quizzed on. Let's get another clue for who, what, when, where, why, wine. Oh, and let's just take another sip of this wine because I'm continuing to enjoy it and it's getting a little less reduced and more vanilla and lemon curd on the nose. Where? Ooh, and more oddly enough, now the things I got on the nose, I'm getting more on the palate and vice versa. I guess that's all the flavor compounds, just like needing some air to come out. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, your who was Consejo Regulador, your what was 212 minimum grams of sugar per liter, your when was 1935 when they established the Consejo Regulador for this region, your where, and this should like cemented for those of you in the know is Montilla uh, near Malaga. So in this region there is a zona de producción that m most of the wine there is required to grow within but for this particular iteration of this region's wine uh, they, Montilla is the one place outside the regular zona de producción uh, producción where the grapes may be grown as long as they are still matured in the zona de crianza. Actually, I'm bad at a Spanish regional dialect. Maybe in that region they say zona de crianza, but just in case, zona de crianza, uh, which is like El Puerto de Santa Maria, and you guys know it's some sort of sherry by now. If you think about the sugar, you'll know what sherry it is. If you think about Montilla, you'll know what sort of sh uh, sherry it is. But, uh, and I apologize for those of you that were still trying to guess, but my why probably wouldn't give it to you any more clearly. But hopefully you're starting to understand a little bit more about uh, sherry. <laughs> at least a little bit. Uh, before I give you your last clue, this is just my general guys. Uh, leave me a five-star rating if you have time on iTunes. Actually, not if you have time. Most of you have time. That Your sourdough can wait for its feeding. Rate me 
and then feed your sourdough. Am I normally a person to tell people to starve their children? No, but it's sourdough. It can wait. <laughs> Rate me. Uh, sorry. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you did, though. And yeah, always uh, feel free to check out the Instagram for the site or my own Instagram I post this stuff on. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Self-promotion done. Let me give you one more clue. <clears throat> Which is the why, and the why is you want sherry that you can pour on vanilla ice cream, because this is most definitely dessert sherry, and it is freaking delicious on vanilla ice cream. I also, in, in another delectable column I wrote about pairing food with McDonald's, I tried pouring the sherry on a vanilla milkshake. Oh my god, you guys. I was not unhappy I did that. In fact, I was quite pleased with myself. So, 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 so. Before I give you the answer, I'm going to take one more sip of this wine and see if anything's happening. I feel like the oak tannins are coming out more and more, or they're hitting my tongue harder somehow, which I don't feel like, oxy like oxygen should make happen, but... Maybe it's just the integration of the aromas and the body of the wine that happens with uh, time and having a little air. Guys, Honig, try them out. I've, this is the only wine I've ever had by them, but they have women winemakers, which I'm trying to support. And this is fabulous wine. I really will look forward to trying more. Also, like their, their sustainability. I don't see a reason not to try this wine. I don't know. Maybe there are things I don't know that would turn me off. I don't know. Maybe there are like some additives in there that I don't like or wouldn't be happy about. But a lot of the things about this I'm very happy about, including how this tastes in my mouth, which is kind of one of the most important things, I would say. Like, it doesn't matter how amazing a, a winery is and its practices. If the wine doesn't taste good to you, then eh, it's not worth it. Save your uh, alcohol save your liver for something better. Okay, time for the big reveal. You guys probably got it by now, or at least some of you who drink fortified wine, which, oh god, maybe not that many of you. It's Pedro Jimenez. Uh, Jimenez spelled uh, X-I-M-E-N-E-Z. Uh, usually on the bottle it'll also just say P-X. It's The Pedro Jimenez is the grape, and in sherry, the region, because it's, well, sherry uh, dash hereth, like J, I, I forget what order they put them in. It's probably hereth, uh, J E R E Z dash uh, hereth, uh, maybe it's pronounced, uh, pronounced Zeres. It, it's the, the French name for that region, X E R E S dash sherry. <laughs> They make many styles of sherry. What they have in common generally is, well, they're, they're fortified wine. Like, they add alcohol at some point to them. And they are generally aged in this wild and crazy system that uh, is very complicated to explain. But if you pictured, like, levels of barrels and each time something is drained off the bottom level, more is added to the top. That's the best way I can think of to explain uh, aging in Solera. So, but uh, there's a, a lot of sherry. People do not realize, I think, because maybe because like Bristol's dry 
cream, which is still a little sweet. Like there's so much uh, sweet sherry that got to be known, but like a lot of sherry is bone dry and fucking fantastic. Like I got really into Montiato sherry and um, Palo Cortado, which is, well, eh, I won't get into that now, and Oloroso. But uh, some of the naturally sweet uh, sherries uh, are Muscatel and then PX or Pedro Jimenez, which was your who, what, when, where, why wine. They harvest uh, grapes that are already like overripe. They dry them like a little bit more. The fermentation will stop pretty low at like four to six percent ABV, but then they fortify it to 15 to 16 percent and then it's matured oxidatively generally so like the vine evaporates and condensed even more so it gets sweeter and like a, maybe a little higher alcohol and Pedro Jimenez like it'll taste like raisins it'll taste like raisins and licorice and brown sugar and maybe a hint of nut or licorice and I'll be honest it's not something I generally want to like drink on its own but it's really good on vanilla ice cream is all I have to say. Actually, in general, I would encourage you to give sherry a shot. Try, especially if you can just get a fino sherry, try that maybe. If you can get a, an Amontillado or a Palo Cortado, try, uh, Palo Cortado, try that. Oloroso will start to feel richer, but like will still be dry. But then they all, if you see like cream sherry, um, if you see dry sack, that's all going to have a little bit of sweetness. And then Pedro Jimenez is just like straight up like sugar. By the way, fun fact, uh, in, I want to say Chile, there's a Pedro Jimenez, like, like Jimenez, but like with a G that's not even at all the same grape, but they make dry wine out of it. Uh, so don't mix those up, but you're unlikely to see that other one anywhere, so you probably won't. Anyway, Pedro Jimenez, underrated, and I'm not just saying that because that was one of the wines in my flight of three that I was blind tasted on for my fortified wine test, which I passed. I pretty much figured out all three wines, although the middle wine, okay, so we had a tawny port. And I thought it was younger than it was, but not by much. Then in the middle, we had a bowl, uh, Madeira, which I thought, I thought it was a Malvasia and, uh, or Malmsey also is what they would call that. Whereas other people thought it was Verdejo, which is like, mine is like a grade sweeter, Verdejo is a grade less. Anyway, that was the middle in our blind flight, but I at least got that it was Madeira. And uh, lastly, was the, oh my God, thank God they gave us to us, but they probably are like really now extra strict on just like all our structure calls and our quality calls being the last in the flight was a Pedro Jimenez. And I was just like, I was the other two, especially the Madeira, I was like, I don't know, I think this is right, but we'll see. I think all of us like breathed a, a blessed sigh of relief. Like, oh my God, they gave us a Pedro Jimenez. Thank you. Anyway, that's my story with that. Get some. Try it on vanilla ice cream. Okay, it is time for the Drunk on Nerves uh, drunk dial. Uh, like I said, it was after the raw wine fair. I had been spitting all afternoon, but all afternoon adds up. And then I was at uh, Barbandini for the after party, which was super fun. Met lots of cool people. 
loved this woman. Um, exchange info with her. It was like, I'm going to get you on the pod. She is another writer. She also works for Sacred Thirst. Uh, we're about to have a little chit chat, AKA the wine situation, final five questions with Lachey Delaney. Lachey, welcome to the wine situation. Hello, thank you for welcoming me. You are so welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it took us a little while since that, that evening that I, I chatted you up at Barbandini and was like, hey, you, come be on my show. <laughs> That was a great night. That was a really fun. That event. was a really fabulous night. I feel like every time, well, I've only been to Raw a couple times, mm-hmm. but like both times the the after party time has been good. And I've always met people who I end up continuing to talk to in my life. So it's kind totally. of cool. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, if you're ready, we'll hop into the final five questions. Oh boy. I'm ready. Okay. okay. <laughs> Don't be nervous. <laughs> Okay, it's not a quiz. <laughs> um, question number one should be pretty easy, which is just uh, what you drinking these days? What you, what you digging? What are you enjoying? Uh, well, let's see. I it is so hot in Los yes. Angeles right now. Oh my um, god! So I've been drinking anything I can drink as cold as possible. Um, Excellent. So I actually I work for a wine importer who just got in some really great Georgian wines. Sacred Thirst, um, right? So I work for two. I work for Sacred Thirst, and I also uh, work for Roni Select. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So Roni has gotten in some some awesome Georgians. Um, and so I've been drinking one that is called Kisses Safaravi which Ooh. is actually a blend of two Georgian white grapes, Kisi and Ricotatelli, with a little bit of Saparavi thrown in. Um, oh, fun. It's, so does it end up being kind of a orangey rosé wine? Or? It ends up being super rosé. Because it, then it's like aged in quevery, and you get this thing that's like a beautiful red color, since, you know, Saparavi is like yeah. so deep and dark. I so love you get it. something that's like a, a really nice, like, um, like light red color, uh, but super chilled. Like uh, has a little bit of um, like a cooked strawberry thing going on, but it has Ooh. super aromatic. It's delicious. That sounds great. I might have to buy some from you. Okay. Uh, question number two: What is the best or the most interesting pairing you've ever had and we've had people say everything from scotch and a banana to cigars and burgundies or to just like regular food and wine so any any kind of pairing hmm. I would say so for a little bit I was a manager at a sake bar Ooh. and the owner is this amazing has this amazing like encyclopedic knowledge of sake and she taught me that a great pairing is sake and cheese. Oh, I you know, I've had so little sake in my life, much less sake and cheese. So that sounds intriguing. Yeah, it is. It's remarkably good. We actually ended up having like a dinner that was that was the whole concept was like a Ooh. sake and cheese dinner. So I got to taste a lot of pairings, and because they both have lactic acid, it like, yeah. it's like the perfect thing to go together. It's wild. Like, 
sake and pizza is what Ooh. everyone should be doing. Okay, I'm gonna have to do that. Was that uh was that bar in Los Angeles or is that you you were originally yeah. in New York, right? Oh it was, okay. So exactly. It's um in Echo Park, it's called Ototo. Oh, okay, I've heard about that. I will have to go when they reopen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, question number three comes uh from me to you, writer to writer, because you're also a, <laughs> a writer both of articles and, and of like plays as well, correct? Yes. Um, is there any either article or is there anything about wine or, or beverages that could be either either fiction or nonfiction? Is there any anything that you're hankering to write about? Ooh, hankering to write about. That's great. <laughs> um, I think that I don't know with wine writing. I'm super into like personal stories. Yeah. So I love being able to talk to someone who is like a wine importer, who is a psalm, who is like working in the day-to-day of wine and how that affects their lives. Um, I think it's also like I happen to highlight women a lot when I think about who I'd like to write about. You're Um, on the right podcast. I've only been doing women winemakers this season. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there are more women winemakers than we know. Um, There are a lot of very young women winemakers who are coming up who are making amazing things, especially in California. Yeah. Um, So getting a hold of those people and talking to them is like, ideal I'm also like on the sake end of things because I was like in this place and learning something about it I would love to write more about sake and like the different kinds of sake there are and um I don't know there's so many crazy wild (laughs) interesting things I know I always have like a running list of of like things that I'm like ooh, gotta get to that one of these days yeah definitely uh, that's better than uh, better than writer's block, which I have too many things to write about, though. <laughs> exactly. Just more publications. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> True. What we need is more publications and people to pay us for our work. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. That would, yeah. that would be ideal. <laughs> it, helps, it, helps, it helps us creative souls. <laughs> True. Um, okay, question number four is if you were to make a wine or – I guess any kind of beverage because you have a very diverse uh, like knowledge of, of beverages. Um, what would you want to make and what might you name it? Let's see. I, I, well, I guess I would make a wine. I, I'm not a very patient person. I'm not <laughs> very good at making wine, but I think that I would want to make. You can make Beaujolais Nouveau. That comes out quick. <laughs> But I think I, but ideally, I would want to make a sparkling wine. I would maybe mm. want to make a pet nut. Just oh, because that's fun. I, I don't know, it's a party in a bottle. Yeah. That's all I ever really want is like <laughs> something that's a party in a bottle. So. I love it. Oh, um, and and you can name it party in a bottle, and people would definitely buy that. I think yeah, I would. I think I, I could name it. Yeah, maybe I should name it party in a bottle. Yeah, the pet net party. 
Exactly. Um, okay, and the last question, the question this podcast has asked since its beginning, um, is what is bringing you some joy these days? Um, yeah, that's important these days. Um, I would say there's, I've been doing a lot of um, kind of driving around Los Angeles mm-hmm. with no real destination and no real plans to get out of the car um, yeah. that me and my partner and my dog have have been just driving around the mountains and then ending up by the ocean and, mm. and kind of just seeing a lot of the city, um, which has been amazing and, and beautiful. And I feel lucky that we live in such a place that has yeah. this, like, diverse landscape that you can see so much. Um, and I've also, since I've had a lot of time on my hands, I've been re- reading a lot of new plays and, and I started writing something and like that is bringing me a lot of joy. So. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, any particular playwrights I should be looking to read? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> you get a, you get a sixth question. <laughs> I get a sixth question. Um, you know, there's a, so a friend of mine has a, uh, theater company in LA called Bark Room Rep. And he's doing a thing where he's basically asking his friends and people that he went to grad school with if they want to submit a play and he'll kind of send it out to people and you can read it and you can send a contribution to the playwright directly. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's been great. And, uh, so I read a, a great play by this guy, Ben Gassman, who's a, actually a professor at NYU, but uh, but writes these kind of like amazingly lyrical plays. And um, yeah, there's just been a lot from that group that I get the plays. I don't always get to, you know, get on the Zoom, but I get to, <laughs> to read all this like new work, which has been great. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so is there anything you would like to promote or tell people where to find you? They should look for Sacred Thirst and also Roni. Uh... Yeah, definitely look for Sacred Thirst, look for Roni Select. Um, and I sometimes write for LA Magazine, so maybe read some articles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about that. And your Lou reads seventy seven on the on, on the gram. Exactly. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This is awesome. I'm like, oh my god, when are things going to open up so I can? Ha- I love doing these uh, chats with people and getting to talk to people who I wanted to have on the show forever. And every time I'm done, I'm like, oh, I just I like this person so much. I can't wait till I can actually raise glass in person. I know. Um, Wouldn't it be great? I mean, one day, hopefully soon, we can have had that glass one. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe, maybe by next November, Rob will be back. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Yes. Well, keep safe and keep well. Thank and thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. me. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Have a lovely rest of your day. Cheers. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Glass. Glass. I just drink. Red, white.
been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.